Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus says, I want you to know peace like a river and your righteousness to be like the waves of the sea. That's what he wants for us. And that becomes a reality for us as we receive him into our lives, as we give him his rightful place as our maker and as our redeemer. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 44 through 45. Now here's Pastor Brian. Sometimes we look at Jesus and we think, well, wait, Jesus couldn't be discouraged because he was Jesus. But the problem there is we're we're just thinking of him exclusively in his divinity. We have to realize that, no, he has human emotions, feelings. He has all of those same things that, that we do. And so he expresses here his sense of having labored in vain. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. There's a point in the ministry of Jesus where he feels like he's failing, this isn't succeeding. He's, he's being rejected. But he says, and he strengthens himself with this, yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. You know, as I thought about this today, it just was, I mean, to think of Jesus and to think of his, I mean, here in a sense, his, his loneliness, his solitary position in that the whole world was against him, with the exception of those few that had followed him. But basically the whole world, remember he comes as the savior of the nation, but the whole nation rejects him. And he has this sense of feeling like his, his, his labor is in vain, but he encourages himself with, surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And I just think of how Jesus, he pressed into that intimacy with the father at moments like this, that he would have to, in a sense, regroup himself and remember that this is between me and God. This is a work that I'm doing for my father. It's a heavy thought to think. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged as we're serving the Lord. And maybe we get discouraged because we're being misunderstood. People are, you know, attacking us. You know, they're against us in some way. We're we're trying to do our best and what we believe God has called us to do. And we've got opposition and, you know, times we can get discouraged. And I've known many people over the years who have thought, you know, I'm just going to quit. What's the point? Well, I'm not going to go on because nobody appreciates this. People are against me. They don't really believe in the work of God in my life or whatever they're expressing. Um, But, you know, at times like that, you have to, you have to press into the Lord. You have to just remember, you know what? I'm, I'm doing this because God called me to do it. And in the end, I'm doing it for the Lord. And if no one ever thanks me for it, no one ever pats me on the back for it, no one ever agrees that I was called to do it, I just have to retreat back into this. My work is with the Lord. And that's what the Lord himself 
did here. And so as we go on in verse five, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, here's the mission, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. So you see, it's clear here that the mission of the Messiah is to restore Israel. So that makes it clear that it can't be Israel who is restoring Israel. It makes it clear that it is the Messiah being referred to as Israel here. So, but he says, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, so here now is the father speaking to the son. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the nations. A light to the Gentiles, the word Gentiles just refers to the, to the nations in general outside of Israel, that you should by, be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So, wow, what a heavy thing. The Lord says, you know, it's, it's too light of a thing for you to just restore Israel. I'm going to give you as a light to the nations. You're going to be my salvation to the end of the earth. Such a powerful thing and a, and a wonderful thing. And thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises. So here again, the Father is discouraged. He's encouraging the Son who is discouraged. And what does he say? He's speaking to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors. When you see nations singular in the Old Testament, most of the time it's speaking of Israel. When you see people singular versus peoples, it's speaking of Israel. So this is a specific reference to the abhorrence of the nation toward the Savior. And then this is an astounding thing. And it was, it was the situation when Jesus was here. I mean, after all, they murdered him. That's, that was the treatment that he received from his own nation. And yet, ironically and, and tragically, that same kind of animus uh, still exist in the nation today toward Jesus. And, you know, if you go to Israel, of course, if you go as a tourist, you're very much welcomed and, you know, everybody treats you like royalty and it's wonderful that you're a Christian and all of that. But, you know, you take a minute and you seek to share the gospel with a Jewish person and you you get really quickly the sense of what people think of Jesus and you get it from the person you're trying to share with. But of course, they're even on a, on a government level, they will do all they can to prevent people from doing that sort of thing in the country. Thank God today there's a bit of a change happening um, over the past few years where there does seem to be a softening. But, but generally speaking, there's still an abhorrence, unfortunately, toward the Lord Jesus Christ by the Jewish population. And so to the, again, God's still speaking, to the servant of rulers. So the one who's despised the nation abhors him. He's the servant of rulers. This is Philippians chapter two. 
This is who Christ Jesus, who although was by nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he humbled himself and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And so here we see to the one who is a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. So because Jesus has humbled himself and became of no reputation, God has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. That is essentially what verse seven is saying as well. So thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. So this is the promise of the father to the son. I'm going to help you. I'm going to preserve you. And I'm going to give you as a covenant to the people. And so, of course, Jesus is, he is the author of the covenant, the new covenant that Israel has yet to enter into. A handful of Jewish believers at the time of Jesus entered into the new covenant But the new covenant is still something that Israel will embrace ultimately when the Lord returns. But it's through him being given as the covenant that he's going to restore to them all that God has promised to them. That you may say to the prisoners, go forth and to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them by the springs of water. He will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road and my highway shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west and these from the land of Sinem. So just talking about the blessing that is going to come through the covenant being established through Christ with the people in the future. The term sinem, just a note here, the term sinem, many Hebrew authorities believe, is a reference to China. And here we have basically a promise that because of what the Lord Jesus has done, that from all over the world, from the farthest reaches of the earth, all the way to the people of Sinem, they are going to come and worship him, be his people. And you think of even today, how that is being fulfilled through the many, many believers in China. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth. Break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and he will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. So even in their captivity, there were those seasons where they felt abandoned. They felt that God was finished with them. But again, the Lord's either rebuking them or he's 
promising blessing. He's reassuring them that he's with them. Here he's reminding them as he's speaking prophetically about the Messiah, that the Messiah is going to come. But listen to this. So Zion says, and Zion's a reference to Jerusalem. Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. He's forgotten me. And listen to verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Listen to this. See, I have inscribed you or engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. Wow, amazing. Now, this is figurative language, of course. And yet, can we help but see in this statement the wounds in the palms of the Lord Jesus? I mean, talk about engraving them in the palms of his hands. This is a vivid picture of that very thing. And I've read many commentators and scholars and, you know, some have said, no, no, this is just a you know, figure of speech. It doesn't really have anything to do with the cross. I beg to differ. I think it has, that imagery is there intentionally. And of course, that is the reality. And, and we know in the future, when the Lord does return and the people finally embrace him as the Messiah, what does it say in Zechariah chapter 12? It says, and they shall look on me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him. And so then they will know the depth of the love of the Messiah for them. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes, look around and see all these together and all these gathered together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, You shall surely clothe yourselves with all of them as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. For your waste and desolate places, the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, this place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. Then you will say in your heart, this is Israel speaking, who has begotten these for me since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and a wandering to and fro, and who has brought these up? There I was left alone, but these, where were they? So he's talking about the astonishment in the future for the nation when the Lord returns that all of those children that were lost because of the devastations, because of the destructions, because of the Babylonians, because of the Romans, the Greeks before them, and because of all of those down through all of the centuries, right down to uh, the 20th century with the, the Holocaust, and then even into the future and the horrific period that will come during the Great Tribulation, where it seems that Israel is to be obliterated, but yet the Lord has preserved and blessed. And we think of the book of Revelation, talks about 
the 144,000 Jews that are sealed at the beginning of the tribulation period and how there's an, an example of those that God will keep and carry through and they will be the Lord's people at the end. And, and yet there will be an astonishment on the part of the people. Of course, Jerusalem itself is a city. It doesn't, you know, Zion doesn't say these things, but he's using that figuratively for the people themselves to marvel that um, they have survived and not only survived, but they've been blessed and they will prosper into the future. And so thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons and their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. So this beautiful picture of God's restoration of, of the nation in the future, that's really simply what is being spoken of here. And, you know, when you think of the plight of the Jewish people through all of the centuries, you think of the various pogroms and persecutions and, and all, of, all of these things. You know, I, I mentioned previously, I've been watching some of the old footage from the Second World War. And I've seen this before in times past, but, you know, as I'm watching this and I'm looking at these thousands and thousands of people being rounded up and just murdered, thrown into ditches and buried over with dirt or taken to the gas chambers. And for some reason this time as I'm watching and I'm, I'm kind of paying more attention to the people, their faces, their responses to the brutality and just thinking how how horrific was this time, unparalleled in its horrors in so many ways. And all of that being part of the history, but yet God says the future is going to be so glorious that kings are going to, and, and of course it's been the kings, it's been the rulers of the nations that have led so often the persecutions but now everything will be reversed and the kings will be carrying the children to Zion and the queens uh, will be nursing the children. Figurative language, but the idea is that uh, the Gentile nations will be blessing the people rather than cursing them. And so just really quickly here as we finish things up, uh, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous be delivered but thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible delivered, for I will contend with him who contends with you. So the question is basically, well, how could this be? How could we ever be liberated from the mighty? The Lord says, I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children and I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine, all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And so this one whom the nation abhors currently is the one who will be their glory and will be their salvation and their deliverance and their protector in the days ahead. 
And this one is the one who is our Lord. That's the amazing thing. You know, as we look at Jesus in the Gospels and we see that he, he came as was depicted, he came in humility and he came as a servant and he came to give his life. As he said, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And of course, the context as we're talking about this, this is uh, much of it is about Israel specifically, their past, their present, and their future. But remember that wonderful promise. It is too light a thing that you should just be the one to restore the tribes of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the nations that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And that, my friends, is where we, who I'm assuming are predominantly uh, Gentiles uh, studying together, this is where we come in to the blessing that God promised to Israel. We come into that covenant. We come into it because God gave Jesus to be his salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's what he does. He saves us. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from the, the guilt of our sin. He saves us from the presence of sin that destroys our lives, like we spoke about earlier. And he is one day going to save us from the presence of sin. So from the the punishment of sin, from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, Jesus saves us from that. And he wants to do that for each and every person. For each and every single person, Jesus says, I want you to know peace like a river and your righteousness to be like the waves of the sea. That's what he wants for us. And that becomes a reality for us as we receive him into our lives, as we give him his rightful place as our maker and as our redeemer. And as we yield our lives to him, he gives us that good life that he promised to us that begins now a life set free from the power of sin, a life that grows in godliness and eventually blossoms into eternity. And so just in closing, if you've not made a commitment of your life to Jesus, you know, we're talking about Jesus. You might say, wait, I thought you were studying the Old Testament. Yes, we are. But Jesus is the subject of the entire Bible. The Bible is basically about him. He even said that to certain in his day. He said to the leaders in the day who were rejecting him, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. He said, but they actually testify of me. And so we see here in Isaiah 49, they testify of the savior of the world who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, and who lives forevermore. And he lives to give us life. And so I just invite you to open your heart to receive Christ. For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.